coming up on Pass the Secret Sauce. And there's a need to have more flexibility and freedom. I think part of it has become the fact that private practices have become less economically sustainable. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole host of reasons why that is. You know, everything from EMR to you know, higher regulations. So you have to kind of spread that fixed cost uh, against a, a larger base. And so you have big, big organizations and healthcare systems buying out private practices. So being an entrepreneur and a physician is harder now. Yeah. Yeah. But as a way of kind of bridging that, a lot of providers have said, you know what, I like my independence and my autonomy, like my dad, right? He wanted mm-hmm. to be his own person. I still, I still want to work for a healthcare. I don't want to create my own medical practice and compete against that. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work on my own terms, my own time, and I'm going to control my schedule. Welcome to the show. I'm Matt Shields. On Pass the Secret Sauce, we unscramble the life stories, skills, and secrets from the most wicked smart minds and interesting people to uncover their experience and recipes for success that will help you get an edge on your own life. My goal is to help you rein in on the chaos that life throws at us by learning from other high achievers. If you're new to the show, we have episodes with founders, CEOs, investors, and leaders. So if you like to learn and are motivated to improve your life, then kick back and listen to our guests pass their secret sauce. On today's episode of Pass the Secret Sauce, we have Minaj Jaharvi, who is the CEO and co-founder of Higher Medical. I got to say, every now and then you have a good connection with a guest, and today was certainly one of those. He's a he's a hometown guy for me. He, he also lives in Cleveland. But we had a great conversation about his upbringing and his diamond, diamond dealer father and his, some of the entrepreneurial learnings that he had early on in life. Uh, We've gotten into how he got to create uh, a company in the medical space and what they're trying to impact. Uh, Right now, their their main focus is basically, I guess, telestaffing for uh, medical communities. So we we used the example of uh, New York City during the COVID crisis. One of the big blockers was that they they needed additional staff. They needed additional help uh, to be able to to service everyone who is looking for healthcare during that crisis. And unfortunately, currently today, the credentialing process and the the process that people have to go through in order to be able to help out in times of need like that is rather extensive and it just it's it's a time consuming process and they're trying to streamline all of that and basically connect doctors and healthcare providers to the patients you know when they need them and that can be either a physical location or a, a telehealth location. So really, really interesting business, really interested uh, in seeing where they go and, and what comes next with their, their business. So uh, without further ado, we will get into the story. Enjoy on today's episode of Pass the Secret Sauce. My dinner table growing up, I would love to say that we made time as a family every day and had dinner at 6 p.m. and sat at the dinner table and, you know, made some blessing and then ate our food together and talked as a family, but that's not what happened. My chaos, yeah. Yeah, it was more, much more chaotic than that. We rarely 
uh, sat around the dinner table and ate together as a family, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. My dad was an entrepreneur. My mom and you know, my mom was kind of dragged along with him. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, what, what business know. was he in? So my dad had a, uh, a jewelry and diamond trade business for okay. over 25 years. Wow. Changed locations quite a bit. At one point, it was even in uh, Wabash Jewelers Row in Chicago. And uh, it's a cutthroat business. My dad's sure. like such an honest, forthright businessman. And there's a lot of sharks in that industry. And people pay with cash. And, yeah, you know, it is like suitcases being exchanged. And if you don't pay in time, they're like, you know, break your bones or something. Yeah. Like it's, yeah. it's not, it's not my dad's kind of industry. Yeah. So. <laughs> how, how do you get into it? Do you know? So tons of connections in India. India is like the diamond cutting uh, capital of the world. Okay. And we just have a lot of family. Actually, my last name, Javeri, means jewelers. Oh, really? So, and it's not by coincidence because way, way back, what happened is like someone's last name was kind of insignificant in India for a long time, right? Like it was like, whatever, like you would, if you change your profession, you change your last name. So at some point, people in my family tree started doing jewelry and diamond trade and stuff like that. And they just said, Hey, let's, we're, we're Javeris now, you know? And there's even a part of India where my parents grew up uh, in Mumbai called Javeri Bajar, which is jewelers, jewelers marketplace. Okay. Okay. So the roots went back to that, but honestly, my dad never wanted to be a jeweler. He was an artist he was a creative person. He was in love with architecture he had three, three master's degrees in architecture, regional wow. planning, and mathematics. And that's how he came to America. He was, uh, my parents were both extremely poor. So he got scholarships, was top of his class, came to Berkeley, and wow. then got two more degrees. And he was an architect. And then somehow he got lured into like operations research and mathematics. And then he got pulled away from what he loved by accident, which I guess sometimes happens to people. And he regretted it, you know, for the rest of his life. Like mm-hmm. he, he always wanted to have wished he stayed in architecture and he tried to recreate some of that. You know, like, I think what happened is he started working for other people as he got uh, out of architecture and he didn't like it. So he wanted to be on his own again. And he saw jewelry and diamonds as a way to do that. So he opened up his own stuff. He didn't want a boss. He just wanted to do his own thing. Yeah. And, and he tried to kind of recreate the creativity and the, design in the jewelry and things that he designed, but it was never the same. Not, so. Yeah. Yeah. Not the same so, as you know. designing a building by any means. Yeah. So it's kind of a sad story, I guess, but he'd always tell me like, you know, to, to, to always just, you know, keep doing what you love, mm-hmm. you know? So no, that's great. That's great. So, so you have obviously been exposed to entrepreneurialism from, you know, a very young age. Yeah. Were you, were you influenced? Did you start businesses at a very young age as well? Because again, you were around that your, your whole life. Were you? I, uh, yeah. I mean, you always hear those stories like, you know, of like Gary, Gary V like, you know, with the, I don't know, whatever things he had going on when he was yep. a kid. And like, you think all entrepreneurs are like that, but I think that's how it is like in the Hollywood movies and stuff. But, you know, I was not a very confident kid growing mm-hmm. up. I had a lot of insecurity I didn't think I was particularly smart. <laughs> yep. I had really good grades, but I just, I didn't feel like, oh man, I could be like a, like a, like an entrepreneur and have a startup and all this kind of stuff. Like I thought that was like other people did that stuff mm-hmm. and took these big risks. And you know, when I was in my twenties, I just, I wanted to get a really, I wanted to find something I really enjoyed. I knew I loved like engineering and math, 
and physics and that type of stuff and just learning about how the world works. But I also started to love business as well. My first year in college at Champaign-Urbana in Illinois, I grew up in Chicago area. I was, I was in finance major and then I switched to mechanical engineering and okay. I ended up, so most people go the other way around. I, I switched into mechanical engineering and ended up finishing that and I, I loved it. But then I worked for a little bit for, as an engineer in co-ops and then as a full-time job, I went to Silicon Valley and I, I worked in the semiconductor industry for a couple of years at Applied Materials and I liked it, but I was like, man, something's like really missing here. Mm-hmm. I want to do something that's a combination of business and tech. I always thought about strategy consulting and I did a master's degree at Ohio State in operations research, which ironically is what my dad did. <laughs> and uh, I liked it, but then I was like, man, you know, there's actually like, I realized like, man, there's people that are just way better at this OR stuff than I am. Yeah. And I'm not even that passionate about it. And I want to be, I want to be able to be like the best in, in something that I choose. And, and I said, you know, I, I really like marrying business and technology in some way. Mm-hmm. And I luckily landed at Deloitte and I ended up finding this niche area. I, I joined a practice in the product development and innovation management space, which was great because I was consulting on projects like uh, I did a project for a year with Lockheed Martin Joint Strike okay. Fighter program. Like I was walking through hangars with like, you know, they're literally building the F-35s like in front of wow. me, right? And you get to see, and I understood it from an engineering standpoint and I was working on the business side, like on their supply chain and, mm-hmm. and things like that. Helping companies like in the med device space, consumer products, pretty much any industry you can think of where, except for healthcare, actually, <laughs> I work in every industry except healthcare. And, you know, I'd spend like six months at a client and, I, you know, I spent eight years at Deloitte. So I had, you know, I don't know, 12, 12 clients, 13 clients and mm-hmm. worked across different industries, doing a lot of innovation and product development type work. And I loved it. Took a couple of years off and ended up uh, just, just taking a job at Vitamix actually for a couple of years. I, okay. I just didn't want to travel anymore. Yeah. And for family reasons, I was like, I'm just not going to travel for a couple of years. And I kind of had a good chance to commute an hour each way to work every day to go to Vitamix from mm-hmm. my house on the east side. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that time helped me a lot to just think every day mm-hmm. and listen to podcasts and listen to audiobooks and just think about what I want to do next. Yeah. And I realized in, in my second year at Vitamix, I, I said, I, I got to get out of here. I got to do something on my own. I'm going to go crazy. And uh, I started my own consulting company focused on innovation strategy. It was doing pretty good. And one of the things I was doing with my company is I was bringing startup concepts into established like Fortune 5000 type companies. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was like working with Campbell Soup. I was working with Amore Pacific Cosmetics. I was doing these different types of projects. And at one of the uh, startup competitions I went to really just to kind of understand some of these concepts better, I I said, hey, you know, if I'm going to understand these concepts, I should really participate in the hackathon. Mm -hmm. So I did this 54-hour hackathon in downtown Cleveland at Cleveland State, and I randomly joined, somewhat randomly. I mean, uh, there was this guy, Dr. Ferris Al-Qadir. He is a fellow at Cleveland Clinic, GI fellow. He was talking about an idea that he had around optimization for residency programs and their trading of their schedules, right, and reducing Mm -hmm. that time down by, you know, by 90%. And I thought, hey, that sounds cool. I know how to do optimization stuff. I did OR. Uh, I'll join this guy's team as a way mm-hmm. just to kind of learn this stuff. And uh, ended up becoming really good friends with him. We ended up winning first place in that competition and getting some prize money. And I was like, man, this is pretty cool. 
And then I started doing my consulting, but then also kind of working with him on the side project. And then the side project started taking over more of my time. And then we actually ended up meeting Matthew Miller, a, a advisor, an entrepreneur in residence at BioEnterprise in Cleveland. And uh, we presented the idea to him, actually. It was this company called MedRocket. That's what we called it. Okay. And he actually, he, he, he told us the best thing. He's like, this idea is terrible. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And I mean, there's no money in this. Uh, you got like very few clients that can potentially use it. It's a, you know, just because you're solving a problem doesn't mean it's a business, right? Mm-hmm. Is, is one of the things he told us, right? And I, I kind of remembered that. It's like, just because you have a problem and you have a solution, this doesn't mean you can create a thriving business out of it, right? So I always, when I talk to, you know, early stage startups and they ask me for advice, I say, just, you know, make sure you're solving a, a deep need that exists, a real pain point and you're solving it. But you also got to make sure there's a business model that's actually like sustainable and profitable too. Otherwise you don't have a startup. You just have like a tiny point solution yeah. to something, Yeah. right? You don't have a business. Right. So but in the process of working with Matthew and Ferris, my, my co-founder, uh, now he's done with his GI fellowship. He's, a, he's an attending GI physician. We, came, we stumbled upon this idea of, of Hire Medical, uh, which is, is now this online platform for freelance physicians and, mm-hmm. and uh, APPs. And it was, it was through the pain points that Ferris had lived as a physician doing freelance work on the side while he was a, a fellow at Cleveland Clinic. Okay. He was doing that to pay off his student loans and diversify his experiences and stuff. And he's a little bit restless. So he was doing some work in Ashtabula and Akron General. And, but he, he recognized that he, as he explained to me, not even from a business perspective, but just from a, just from a standpoint of the frustrations he was having, he was like telling me about it. And we started talking more and more and we realized like, wow, you know, there's a lot of areas for improvement and leaning out of this entire process, mm-hmm. everything from the matching of, of the provider with the hospital that needs them for freelance work yep, yep. Um, to the credentialing process, which can be really terribly managed sometimes, and it can be months long. So, so, so let's, before we get into yeah. too much of that, why don't you explain a little bit about what what your your uh, startup does and what you know the main focus of it is and then we can start getting yeah. into some of the the yeah, uh, nitty-gritties yeah, yeah. of it cool thanks for cutting me off no no <laughs> I no like no, the longest no worries. response ever <laughs> so so you know at, at at the at the core right our why the reason we exist is to really break down these these barriers that exist with respect to space and time mm-hmm for staffing of high quality providers and providing high quality care in, in America, right? Virtus Technology is a custom business software solution provider. Are you tired of manual entry into an old system that creates more work than it helps? Does your company suffer from constant pain and frustration around its business processes? Do you spend a lot of time and money trying to hunt information down or figure out what is happening in your business? Virtus Technology can help solve all of this. We evaluate your current processes and then create custom software or mobile apps to automate and streamline your business process, eliminating a lot of those pains and frustrations. Unlike other systems, our goal is to digitize your current processes and systems so that your staff's learning curve is very small. If you're ready to take your business operations to the next level, 
Give Virtus Technology a call today. And right now there's just way too many barriers to providing, you know, to efficiently and easily providing physicians and APPs where they're needed, when they're needed. You know, if you look at even a recent example with New York and the pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. One of the big reasons why, you know, you had a flood of thousands of physicians volunteering their time. It couldn't all be absorbed and used. Only like, I think a, a few percentage points of them were used because of the credentialing process and because of all the, the, okay. the red tape and the, and the regulations. And, and so, you know, what, what's, what also exists in America too is, it, yes, there's a raw shortage of providers. Everybody kind of knows that exists. Mm-hmm. But even more, what makes it more drastic is that there's a mismatch between supply and demand on a local level, right? Yep. So metro areas might be saturated, but then the rural areas have nothing, mm-hmm. right? Like a, like a huge vacuum of providers. And you have to be able to get people efficiently where they're needed or use things like telemedicine and telehealth to yep. do it virtually, and deliver care virtually, but you can't always do that. So how do you get people where they're needed, when they're needed, and, and kind of get quickly through the matching as well as the credentialing and do that in still a high quality way? You're not, you're not skipping steps. I'm not suggesting that at all, but how do you lean it out? Yeah, that makes sense. So talk a little bit about what telehealth services are. are you mentioned that a few minutes ago. Um, yeah. Get into that a little bit. Uh, I mean, you know, there's, there's so many different type of, I mean, I use the term telehealth because telemedicine is kind of like a, a subset of telehealth. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's everything from telestroke, right? That's a big area to, and stroke management to things like. And when you're uh, saying that, are you actually meaning like a stroke, like a stroke heart attack? It's actually like, it's, it's actually where like a, a patient may say, Hey, I think I'm, I'm experiencing like stroke symptoms. And I've actually talked to companies like uh, InTouch is a, is, a, is a big telestroke provider where they actually use AI to, to look at the person's face using wow. the camera okay. and determine if there is like some kind of uh, slant or yep. things of that nature, right? And they can kind of determine using the AI, mm-hmm. hey, is this person going into early stages of a stroke? Just mm-hmm. like by analyzing their, their face on the video. Interesting. <laughs> or the way they're speaking too. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I've, I've um, heard that if you're having a stroke, your tongue will go to the side too. Is that true? Yeah. There's all, yeah. I'm not sure, but uh, you have to ask Ferris, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there are definitely things like that. I mean, then on the other spectrum, I mean, behavioral health is exploding. Right. And uh, you know, everything from teletherapy to uh, telepsychiatry, right. It's in huge demand in this country, whether it's because of opioid epidemic or COVID response or, the stress of everything going on in the world right now. Mm-hmm. So, so there's, there's a huge spectrum, but it's, it's exploding and the regulations are coming down. You know, Medicare is reimbursing more from the telemedicine standpoint, but, but you that's know, what I was going to ask yeah. is, are there any services that are uh, covered by Medicare, Medicaid right now? Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely not the expert on that part, but more things are definitely being reimbursed uh, from a, from a virtual standpoint okay. now than they were before. Yep. The fear is that, when COVID subsides or gets under control, the regulations will snap back because somewhere in this equation, someone's not making as much money. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and actually on the money side of things too, if you're dialing into a tele stroke or some, some type of service or something like that, are you being charged for that? Is that uh is that something that you're paying like by the minute for, or how does, how does that work? 
I mean, I, I know more about it from the standpoint of bringing providers to a telehealth need, okay. right? So if there is a telehealth company that we're working with, let's say Amwell or Teladoc or one of these companies, right? They'll say, hey, we have a, a certain patient census and we have patients getting scheduled and they need to see a provider and we're going to provide those providers at a, at a certain rate. Got it. Usually on a per consult basis, we're, okay. we're going to charge the, the, the telemedicine company, the medical practice. Got it. And the patient, I mean, they may have a, a copay type situation. They may, they may have a situation where their insurance company is partnered with this telemedicine provider and it's just kind of part of the fees that they pay in their premium. So there's so many different models out there. Got it. Got it. So we were talking a little bit before you, before we jumped onto the recording here about locum staffing and yeah. how that's sort of an older antiquated process. Can you talk a little bit about, yeah. you know, how people have looked for positions like what you have today and yeah, you know, how you're changing that? Yeah. I mean, it really kind of got started in the 1970s. That's when this, this term locum was coined. It really is Latin. Locum tenens means stand in the place of somebody else who's missing, right? Mm -hmm. So the way it started was like you're filling a void for someone who's missing. But as, as you, if you fast forward 50 years, this idea of this, whatever you call it, freelance economy, gig economy, this flexible on-demand economy, right? You, you see it happening in all different industries. Mm -hmm. And it's not just Uber drivers and it's not just DoorDash and things like that. It is very highly skilled, highly paid people are now also doing freelance work, mm -hmm. right? And uh, that includes, you know, a lot of physicians now too. And there's a need to have more flexibility and freedom. I think part of it has become the fact that private practices have become less economically sustainable. Mm -hmm. And there's a whole host of reasons why that is. You know, everything from EMR to, you know, higher regulations. So you have to kind of spread that fixed cost uh, against a, a larger base. And so you have big, big organizations and healthcare systems buying out private practices. So being an entrepreneur and a physician is harder now. Yeah. Yeah. But as a way of kind of bridging that, a lot of providers have said, you know what? I like my independence and my autonomy, like my dad, right? He wanted mm -hmm. to be his own person. I still, I still want to work for a healthcare. I don't want to create my own medical practice and compete against that. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work on my own terms, my own time, and I'm going to control my schedule. And I'm going to still make really good money. And uh, that's what uh, a freelance physician is able to do mm -hmm. and, and enjoy that kind of a lifestyle. And, and that's exactly the, the type of platform that you provide them. So, so they would yeah. come to you and you know, they can essentially turn on and off their time whenever they, they want, correct? Exactly. Yeah, they, they, they can kind of control their schedule the, the way they want to. Yeah. And, you know, there, there are, you know, the locum industry evolved from the seventies until now. And, but, but it, it sort of nineties and, and the two thousands, like it sort of stopped changing a whole lot. Right. I mean, you have all these uh, agencies all over the United States. A lot of what they do is still in kind of the, the methodology of, of sending paper FedEx packets to doctors to fill out by hand. Uh, sometimes it's getting a little bit more electronic the the set of kind of nothing's being kind of pulled and automated using APIs. I mean, there are data repositories, but they're not being leveraged in the right kind of way mm -hmm. to pull data together instantly. And, and most importantly, give control of this, you know, I'll call it a digital wallet, give that control to the provider, right? In our mind, higher medical feels 
the providers, it should be, you know, like your place, your time, your data, right? Yeah. If you own it, you give it to healthcare providers right? or institutions that you want to work with, right? And that doesn't really exist today. And okay. um, we have a great partnership with a company in Cleveland uh, that's also a startup called Actual, A-X-U-A-L-L. And they are a blockchain-based credentialing network. Oh, cool. And exactly what I described about a digital wallet and all this type of thing, they're using blockchain technology as well to make it even more secure. Yeah. And we are integrating currently as we speak, we're working to integrate our platform with theirs. So we're going to be one of the first staffing companies, probably, you know, hopefully the first that's actually credentialing doctors on the blockchain using their own digital wallet. That's cool. Wallet. So, so basically what that would what that would create is, is you could essentially eliminate the bottleneck issue that you mentioned earlier with COVID and, you know, people wanting to go to New York and help and, and all of that, but the, the credentialing and, and authorization process just took too long with you guys, you know, here's a list of everybody that's already been credentialed, you know, through the blockchain, you know, everything's, everything's It's almost like we're go. the marketplace, but when doctors apply, they can get rapidly screened. Yeah, that's and cool. Presented, right. That's really cool in a way that still follows NCQA guidelines and everything. It's just, it's just faster because yeah. it uses existing data and it's constantly pinging it. So it's always up to date. That's amazing. So, so you know, in, you know, that, that combination of a marketplace plus an engine for credentialing, it's like, it's a very nice complimentary fit. And, and luckily the CEO of actual Charlie Lowheed is also one of our key advisors for higher medical. So that's, that's fantastic. But so, just kind of a serendipitous uh, situation. Yeah. When, when you started this company, you, you mentioned that you uh, went to a hackathon and that's kind of where this whole Genesis <laughs> uh, started. To me, I, whenever I think hackathons, I always think a bunch of coders, programmers. Are you, are you progr a programmer as well? Do you know coding and, and such? Did you I mean, a little, a little bit, but I'm definitely not a, a developer or a coder by any means. Actually, Ferris is pretty good. As, as is a he? doctor, he's actually pretty good. But, but Oliver's our guy. I mean, he's one of the best guys probably. I mean, we're very lucky to have him. He's, as far as talent goes in Cleveland, I mean, he's, he's one of the best custom development guys. And he understands it from a strategic as well as a roll up your sleeves kind of way. Yeah, yeah. And, like, can, and can code. And he manages our offshore development team in New Zealand. And okay, so we're able it. to turn, turn around things and changes to our platform pretty quick, add new functionality. Yeah, these hackathons, I mean, the, the, the goal of these hackathons is to bring together people of diverse skill sets, right? Yep, yep. You can't just have a coder, you can't just have an MBA guy, you can't just have a doctor, but you bring those different things together and then you have something really cool come out of it that never would have, you never would have thought of. Yeah, that's great. That's great. I Actually, I've, I've never, never known that. I've always... Uh, thought about participating in hackathons and figured, ah, I'm not that, that great of a coder. So, you know, what am I going to do there? But no, that's, that's great. Well, there's an organization called Startup Weekend. It's part of Techstars. And, and mm -hmm. I've actually helped out with Startup Weekend before. I actually organized a Startup Weekend in Cleveland three years ago, just as a way to give back to the community. Yeah. This community has given me, me a lot here in Cleveland, a lot of free advice and help and advisors and everything. So I want to do something to give back. And, uh, you know, you, you organically have teams form and they compete and they 54 hours later, they, they pitch to judges and it's, it's an, it's an awesome yeah, type of process. Cool. I mean, I everyone it. should go through it. You know? yeah. I, <laughs> I I, I'll just have to join one now. So, so getting back to your platform too, what types of doctors would be right for your platform? Is there any type of credentialing or, or steps that they need to go through before they can join your platform or even, you know, different types of doctors. Are there different focuses right now? Yeah. I mean, we are, we are specialty agnostic. 
So we have, you know, every, every walk of life in terms of specialty on our platform, subspecialties and specialties. I would say our big five, like main focus areas, and, and they're the areas where there tends to be the highest volume of freelance work is mm-hmm. uh, emergency medicine, hospital, hospital medicine or hospitalists, anesthesia, psychiatry, and critical care medicine. Mm-hmm. GI and neurology are areas that are growing for us as well. And then there's some other areas too. And we have kind of a whole like data analytics uh, platform that's kind of attached to our main platform that shows us like every area of state license and specialty and all of this of our network. Mm-hmm. So we're getting closer to that 1,000 mark of, of physicians on our platform. So we're, we're proud of that. And, uh, you know, we have about 30 strong uh, clients that we have signed up with Hire as well. So everyone from Cleveland Clinic to North Star Anesthesia to even some, some smaller telemedicine companies. So That's great. That's great. So what's next for the platform? Do you have any, you mentioned you're integrating with the, the blockchain technology. What, what else is on the horizon? I mean, that's, right that's a big thing. Yeah, that's absolutely. We're also integrating like timesheet and schedule management into the platform. Mm-hmm. Uh, sounds like not a big deal, but it, it's actually critically important to kind of speed things up. Everything from the confirmation letter that the doctor is going to work to closing things out and sending out the invoices and, and payments and making sure that doctors get paid on time because with some agencies, doctors complain that, hey, man, mm-hmm. I didn't get paid for months, you know, and we hear those kind of stories. We don't we don't ever want to be that that company. So, you know, we're doing that that work. We're looking at some potential uh, white label solutions with mm-hmm. with uh, uh, potential companies. So still no announcements yet, but that's that's one thing that we might get into as well. And but yeah, uh, just continue to, to increase uh, the, the functionality. And, and make, make sure that more and more of it can be done digitally and, mm-hmm. and quickly. And we shorten that cycle time from, we shorten the matching cycle time. So one of the things we added not, not too long ago was a matching algorithm that actually fires off text messages and emails. When you join the platform, if you match for jobs, immediately you're uh, going to get notified. You don't have to do anything. Yeah. Right? You're going to get notified accurately of things that match your subspecialty, your state mm-hmm. license, things like that and uh, your board status, et cetera. So that's an important thing, keeping that matching cycle time and the time like of of application and like saying, hey, yeah, we wanna work together to then getting them credentialed. And that's the part with actual where we wanna speed up that data acquisition process and then hand that all off to the the hospital. Yeah, that's great, that's great. I'm, I'm kind of floored by this. This is, uh, I can absolutely see how this can change so many different, so many different situations and streamline so much, which I absolutely love. Um, if, if somebody wanted to learn more about hire or yourself, how yeah. would they get in touch with you or, or learn more about the platform? Yeah. So our website has a lot of information on it. www.hiremed.com. So H Y R M E D.com. And uh, all of our you know, news stories, press stuff, all of our ideas. We have a lot of like um, podcasts and mm-hmm. white papers we've published and things of that nature. So check out, check out those things. Check us out on LinkedIn. We tend to be the most active on that platform. And we're always posting stuff that's relevant. We're like a, we're like a magazine for the freelance uh, healthcare economy. And, um, you know, I mean, you can always connect with me uh, or any of my founders uh, on LinkedIn. We'd love to love to chat with healthcare systems, medical groups, telemedicine companies. We want to, you know, make you our client and provide you, you know, the fastest uh, and, and less expensive to, yeah. <laughs> to um, uh, you know, rates. So. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Well, there you go. 
No, I love it. Thanks for uh, spending the time. And uh, I look forward to seeing where this all evolves. I think this is, uh, you're on to something really, really special here. So thank you so much. Hope my answers were not too verbose. <laughs> no, no, no. You're good. You're good. All good. All <laughs> right. Appreciate Sounds it. Good. Sounds good. Thank all you. right. Well, thank you, Matt. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening. And remember, pass the secret sauce.